Let's go ahead and, and get started right into chapter nine. I uh, hope everyone had a, a great week. There's a, <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. My my brain's kind of transitioning. I have an Isaiah class right before this, and so I'm <laughs> kind of like, oh crap, what was chapter nine about? Um, so you might have to kind of get things started off with me here. Um, so as we dive into chapter nine, we have a very similar experience where um, Abraham and Sarah are, are again called to, to move. I, I find it so interesting that um, again, the, the process of moving, it, it, it's almost a repetition of uh, quite a few different trials of their past. Again, they're called to, to go through these, these things again. Um, and uh, interesting, as we, we know just from the, the previous chapter, that um, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. And because of that, here on page 190, um, they, uh, Abraham quotes here that, why should hospitality cease from my house? There, there wasn't any more missionary opportunities. His house was, was kind of left in, in a, a stupor, if you will. And, and so uh, again, they, they thought upon themselves to, to move and, and relocate so that they could fulfill their, their mission to, to, to build Zion and to, to do missionary work. Um, but again, uh, another trial that they had pr prior that Sarah is, is taken captive. So what, what lessons can we learn from uh, this experience and this repeat of events? Uh, what, what things did you have from this section that you learned and, and thought insightful this week? Um, so I find it interesting that almost the exact same scenario plays out here with uh, Sarah getting uh, taken by, by the king of, of where they are, are locating to, and um, but with a, a couple different differences here. I know that I'm tripping over my words because my brain's all kind of <laughs> in a different uh, mindset right now, but um, that it's interesting to note the the differences here that are being brought up are the um, the ability of Abraham to bless the the women in their infertility and and how that plays into uh, Sarah's future uh, Sarah's near future here. I, I find that that's an interesting uh, transition from the previous capture of Sarah versus this um, capture. It, it must have been very interesting. As, as Sarah is again taken, um, that they know exactly how this plays out and that the Lord pro uh, provides and protects and, and great outcomes are, are going to be coming from it. So, you know, she gets taken and, oh, well, I just tell him that uh, I'm his, his sister and, and it'll all go out good. <laughs> I, you know, like what must have been going through their minds, you know? Uh, is it again... Uh, Oh, great missionary work, <laughs> even even amidst a, a great trial like this, or or what kind of thoughts would be going through through your minds if, if you were in the same scenario, uh, playing out with the, the exact same trial over again? That, that must have been really hard. Um, yes, let's see. 
so anything uh, at all that uh, that you would like to comment about from this very first uh, section before we move on to the next where uh, Sarah is again taken and um, they're they're going through through this this trial with with another king uh, just by a different name All right, and then um, through the, this whole book, we get to know Abraham and Sarah and, and their great uh, loving kindness, their great hesed through, through all trials. And, and finally, it seems like, you know, you would get to this part in, in the Abraham story earlier on, but, but Sarah finally conceives, and, and what a, a joyous moment. We have all of the, the drama uh, leading up to this with with years of infertility, the the issue with Hagar and um, and that that's happened just prior to this. And then she finally conceives. My heart just went out to her in in this moment, like what she she must have thought when she finally felt that that babe kicking in her womb, that that must have just been the most amazing, miraculous um, thing for for them to finally experience. Um, uh, and, and as we've gotten to know uh, Sarah throughout this this whole uh, book and experience, um, I, I don't know. I, I my heart just went out to her in, in this moment here. It felt felt like I was there with her. I, I love that part of the the chapter here. I did think it was kind of interesting. Um, Abimelech is that his name? Uh -huh. The king. When it says that his wife, like the whole household then they were able to conceive, but most likely his wife had never been able. So in a way, it, it was kind of like a foreshadowing of Sarah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. They hadn't waited as long as Abraham and Sarah. And it's also interesting because he wasn't really, they weren't really necessarily righteous people. And yet the Lord used them as at least his wife is like a foreshadowing of, of Sarah. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, for one, had never heard of this story. I've always heard of the Egypt uh, experience, but I never knew that uh, they had done it again. And, you know, very interesting that uh, Sarah is now uh, very much older than she was the first time, and yet her beauty is still so striking that um, this king of, of Gerar that um, uh, desires her to become the queen. Uh, again, uh, Satan is is using that as a, uh, uh, that, that same principle to, to offer her the riches of the world um, in order to deny God, deny her, her true husband, etc. Um, and again, she, she passes that test uh, handily and, and great blessings come out of this. I also liked that, um, well, I didn't like, but I didn't know like 37 years they waited. Like that's a long time. And then when it goes on and talks about how like, like all the world rejoiced, how many people rejoiced and how she was a foreshadow of um mary and the birth of the savior that was kind of cool too mm -hmm. i'd never thought of it that way before 
So okay. that was a new thought to me. So I really like that. But I can't imagine, you know, suffering that trial for 37 years from the time of the promise. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're promised it, you're like, okay, at max, I'll wait like five years. <laughs> but I mean, this is 37 years. That's, that's a huge time. I know, because five years seems like a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to bring up a point. Um, just before that piece, it talks about the well at Beersheba. And it's actually known as Abraham's well now when you look at the map in Israel. And the location of this well would have been on the King's Highway, probably, which would have been a very common thoroughfare from Egypt uh, through Israel to the Middle East and um, Turkey in that area. So there would have been a lot of travelers on that road, uh, you know, just from the nomads and the people there. And it's interesting when you when you live in the Middle East, when you live in Israel, you you really realize and understand that everything surrounds the well. Mm -hmm. uh, your livelihood does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Because I mean, isn't in, that in, interesting that later on we've learned, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine was just kind of done. You go ahead. I was just going to say, <laughs> isn't it interesting because later on, it, later on, it talks about um, the temple of Ishmael mm -hmm. that Abraham builds and then about how everything is around the temple and goes into talking about the city of Enoch, how it had a temple in the center. New Jerusalem, Zion will all have a temple in the center. And then thinking about what the water represents, the well represents, and what the temple represents. They both represent life, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just kind of interesting too. And, and likewise, almost every temple has water in front of it too, right? Mm -hmm. If not actual water, they definitely have a water motif. Uh, right. Like our our Twin Falls one doesn't uh, have a uh, a water fountain or or anything like that. Um, but if you look at an aerial view of of the temple, the fence is in a wave pattern, um, which is kind of uncommon for for some temples. But usually they're either straight or in in certain angles. But but this one is, is wavy uh, to represent that water. That's cool. But yeah, I, I really like that that imagery there of such a, a dry desert and the oasis, the, the the wells that are are centers that you can't go. You have to plan your life around it, and and how we do have to plan our lives around the temple and um, that that holiness of the Lord. Like everything depends upon the Lord. It's kind of a principle of manna as well. Uh, the Lord provides both our bread and our water, our living bread and our living water, and and how the temple is so crucial to um, that principle. This whole chapter is all about temples. Uh, uh, what does it say on the beginning there? So chapter 9 is building cities of Zion and temples of God. Uh, Abraham for Ishmael and Isaac and then for all mankind. Uh, it's the great temple building chapter here. Um, I, I have written here right by chapter nine that, that this is the uh, Gordon B. Hinckley chapter or the, the President Nelson chapter, you know, the, the great temple building eras of, of their time. 
Um, but but yeah, I, I love the the connections there between the water and the temple. It kind of makes me almost think of um, the the future Jerusalem temple that water will again issue out of it and, and heal the Dead Sea and uh, all of that imagery that that, that pertains to is there. Actually, when I read that part about the temple being the center of the city, I stopped and paused and thought about how many temples we have and are they the center of the city? Probably not, but probably in the millennium, they will become the center. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just thought about it a lot. And then it makes me think about my mom's family all settled St. George. My mom grew up there and, um, that made me think about the other temple that's being built in St. George that's so close. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just interesting. You'll mm -hmm. have two centers of the city, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, what a blessing there. Um, so I kind of neglected the, the chat here. So Libby says uh, that it makes her wonder about the principle of experiencing things multiple times. Um, uh, yeah, I, I want to kind of dive into that too. And then Neil says that the temple at New Jerusalem will be at the center, which is so true. If we've seen like the, the drawings and plats and stuff of, of Joseph Smith and um, talking about that, that center, uh, centralistic view there that the temple is. Um, so yeah, let, let's dive into to Libby's comment there where um, experiencing things multiple times. So in previous homework assignments, we kind of mapped out our, our different trials and and Abrahamic tests, and how many of them were repeats. I find that uh, what was a key theme in mind, like, oh, I, I had that one over and over again, just in different degrees, or or maybe I didn't pass it really well one time, and so uh, I was given a second shot at the same difficulty level before I moved on and, and got a harder one kind of thing. Um, but uh, interesting how, how the Lord tests our, our loyalty sometimes uh, multiple times you know, with Peter, you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It, it seems very repetitious, but yet um, sometimes throughout our lives, we have to answer the same question. And then when when it's almost not an, an answer for the Lord, but it's an answer for us that, okay, we now know that we will uh, obey him at all costs, uh, whatever time of life, whatever circumstances we're dealing with, that our, our focus is on him and, and, and his will, kind of a, a thing. I thought that, that was very interesting here. Cameron, on this, uh, things happen in multiple times. Um, not only Sarah was barren, but so was Rebecca. And so was uh, Rachel for quite some time. And also I couldn't help but think about um, you know, where uh, Sarah had to pretend like she was a sister. Well, that same thing happened to Isaac and Rebecca in the same place. In fact, it was the same king, at least the same name there in Gerard. It might have been a son or something. I don't know. Is He was King Gerard. But anyway, they had to say that um, she was a sister. And then the king seen... Uh, uh, Isaac and uh, Rebecca sporting, uh, they were kissing and stuff. And so he told, he remembered about what had happened before. And so 
he told them to move on there. <laughs> but anyway, very similar stories, the next generation as well. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how, how a lot of these uh, stories from Abraham really do play out just in his next two generations. And, and you know, throughout the, uh, the rest of mankind, but, but especially that um, the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had the same trials and, and they all went to God in the same, uh, they all arrived at, at God in their own ways. Uh, they didn't just lean on, on their father's testimony, etc., but they all had to learn the, the same trials and the same lessons. I'm just thinking about Sarah's beauty. It makes me wonder partly if that beauty comes because of her goodness. Mm -hmm. That's what they were so attracted. And I'm not saying to take away her, her physical beauty. I'm sure she was, but I just think a lot of it also was because you can see beautiful women and they're not, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But her beauty was magnified because of her goodness and her righteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, she always had that uh, that cloud over her tent. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot more to her beauty than I think we uh, sometimes imagine or picture and stuff. And it's going to be so fun to to meet her one day and and um, you know get to know her uh, in a in a deeper way and get to see her and, and things. You know, like throughout all of these groups I, I get to to know all of your your faces and, and things and stuff um there there's a few that that have their their cameras off and i feel like i don't know them very well i get to know their personalities here and there through different little chats and and things but um uh, sometimes when you can see a face and and um uh, have that connection kind of thing it really brings it and so like um with sarah for example i you know, there's not many paintings or, or pictures of her. I, I feel like I, I don't have a, a full good connection with her. Um, and, and so it'll be fun to, to meet her one day and, um, and see her beauty, uh, both physical and, and spiritual and, and all that that encompasses, all that the Lord has blessed her with and, and that knowledge and experience and, and all of that. Really get to know her. I think that'll be fun. It's interesting on the the paintings that we have seen of her, uh, even though it mentions so often how beautiful she is, but she's always pictured as kind of an old hag, you know? Yep. yep. Does it do her justice? Yeah. Um, uh, interesting to note, like on, on page 196, as we go into the experience of uh, Isaac and Ishmael and stuff, uh, that, you know, she... She is called a prophetess. How how great and how many uh, miraculous things that she saw in vision. Uh, what uh, kind of things did she experience? You know, we have the the story of Abraham, and now we have a kind of a more clear picture of Sarah. But still, we we probably don't know even a hundredth part of of everything that she was able to to see and experience and prophesy and um, and help us with. Um, here with with this experience with can we talk about uh, that situation can we talk about that situation where they're celebrating isaac and then she kicks out hagar and ishmael like i 
I read it, but I didn't fully understand like the different interpretations. Was she, it's made it sound even like when they were saying it wasn't as bad as it sounded, it almost made her sound like she was jealous, which I don't think she was. And then it goes on to say that she was a prophetess. So mm -hmm. help me understand like what it was. Yeah, Did she sure. just foresee that Ishmael would overtake Isaac? Was that what it was? A, a very good possibility that um, in our other groups, it was like, can we please ask the author this question? Because <laughs> I, I would really like his, his take on this as well. Because um, I've always had a problem with this story um, before, before this book, but just like, okay, what was the whole deal with Ishmael and Isaac, why it, it seems so opposite to the character of Abraham and Sarah to to do this, but for some reason the Lord needed that separation to happen. Um, but but like you said, there there might have been some some prophesying there, seeing that um, Ishmael carrying forward would somehow in the future take over the birthright or or something like that. But you know, I don't know the the full story, but um, it. It's interesting that as Hagar goes out there on page 197, that um, Hagar asked Abraham if God had commanded him to do this. When he answered in the affirmative, this remarkable woman declared her faith in God and God's servant Abraham by courageously stating that she knew that God would take care of them. So here, Hagar is mentioned as a remarkable woman, and, and she's just... She, she goes along with God's plan. We know that angels attend her. Like it, this whole scenario seems so off kilter to, to the personalities of Abraham and Sarah. But yet, isn't this a do-over of what already happened before? Mm -hmm, yeah, it, it kind of seems like, like that same, uh, it's, this is the, the chapter of, of dual trials, like the, the repeat. And it's funny because if, if they needed, if the Lord needed Hagar and Ishmael to be gone, I guess the first time wasn't the right time. I don't know, but there mm -hmm. certainly was that opportunity the first time. Mm -hmm. So Cameron, um, I had watched a YouTube video. I know that they're not always the, you know, accurate in their mm -hmm. description or their thoughts, but it was called, um, Satan, the great deceiver. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen it? It, that sounds very familiar. What, who is it or? I can't remember the person that posted it, but something, it was really, really good. And, and basically it talked about how Satan will mimic, um, God and his plans. And, you know, if we know that God knows everything from the beginning and knows how Satan will use his creations to try and mimic his plan, um, I can't help but think that what Sarah saw was that, um, Ishmael would go on to create something similar in, in, cause it's, they're so close in, um, everything is just so close, but it's not, you know, it's not God, it's not his Although Ishmael and his posterity has, has a purpose and they're, you know, people mm -hmm. have, they're good people. They're not, it's not the right course, I guess. you. Could, I don't know. It, I would recommend y'all to watch it because it helped me understand maybe why that, that there was a purpose beyond um, him being 
a part of Isaac's posterity mm-hmm. and having his own set. I, I don't know. I'm kind of stumbling over my own words here, but that's kind of how I looked at it was that there was a greater, there was a different purpose for Ishmael and it was part of, I hate to say part of Satan's plan, but it was, you know, God's plan too. So mm-hmm. oh, I had lunch this last week with a good Muslim friend of mine and um, he's um, the head of the Muslims in the Salt Lake City area. I think I spoke about him before. And we started talking about, um, you know, the Old Testament again. And to the Muslims, Ishmael, uh, as you know, has 12 sons, right? Just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's where the entire uh, Islamic world comes from, right? So, you know, you look at that and and you you see the, the tornness of Abraham uh, as you read further in the chapter of going into uh, Mecca and Mecca Medina and, and Jerusalem. And Mecca is the most holiest place there is for all the Muslims because once in a lifetime, they're supposed to, if they're faithful, go to Mecca and walk around it and prostrate themselves. And it's really interesting because, you know, to, to, to my Muslim friend, Ishmael is everything. Whereas we as Latter-day Saints, we sometimes don't get that other viewpoint, right? And so two great, wonderful nations are born here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, So just kind of uh, following up here in in the chat. So um, uh, Neil says that before Hagar left, she uh, was not... Oh, before Hagar left on her own accord, she uh, ran away. She wasn't cast out, but this time uh, she was actually sent away. And then um, that video that Sarah is talking about was called Satan the Great Deceiver. So um, uh, it sounds really familiar what you said. I I believe it's on the two LDS archives uh, uh, videos. Um, And there's also a talk by Marion G. Romney that kind of goes into that as as well. but, but yeah, very much um, what, what Stefan was saying that um, the, I, there's so many different similarities between uh, their 12 tribes versus our 12 tribes um, and, and the different symbolisms and, and everything that, that go into that. I, I find that very interesting to, to study. Um, Perhaps they needed to be separated so they each could flourish in their own mm-hmm. right. Because we know at the end, they did come back together. I, I mean, they weren't separated all the time, but I think, think for a time they needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, there's there's a lot of symbolism in the, the cutting of covenants or the, the separation. Uh, many times when we uh, make a covenant, there's, there's a tearing apart before it gets joined back together. Um, and... Um, uh, anyway, there, there's some fun stuff with uh, that, but uh, as another homework assignment that we've had in, in the past to, to kind of ponder upon Ishmael and, and what his role is in the end time and, and, and things like that, I, I think there's a lot more that we'll find is um, in Ishmael. A lot of times we kind of disregard Ish, uh, Ishmael and Hagar and, and just kind of 
okay, well, they went off and, and then they went apostate. But yet here in, in this chapter, it's interesting to note that Abraham goes with them, uh, supplies them, provides for their needs, and, and even builds a temple with Ishmael. He, he wouldn't have just built a temple as an empty edifice. Uh, he, he must have had uh, given Ishmael the, the priesthood, uh, the rights to, to officiate in a temple in some sort of um, capacity there. And we don't have that story. But, you know, just like the Israelites go into apostasy eventually, uh, you know, the, the Ishmaelites probably did as well. And uh, we don't, uh, I'm not as familiar with their their full-on history. I need to get uh, more familiar with that. Um, but uh, Abraham loved Ishmael, and, and he wouldn't have just sent him off in the desert and um, and, and left him and his mother to, to fend for themselves. Angels were, were providing and, and protecting them and, and helping them through um, uh, this great difficulty, but, but there needed to be a separation for, for some high and holy purpose that the Lord could, could only see from his, his vantage point. Cameron and Neil uh, wrote here, uh, the Muslims believe that it was Ishmael that was sacrificed offered as a sacrifice. Yeah, I, I've heard that before. I, I'd forgotten that until now, but yeah, that um, instead of Isaac, that it was actually Ishmael uh, being offered up. Um, Cameron is actually called Satan the Great Deceiver, or Counterfeiter. Okay. So anyways, yeah, and that was kind of what it was, is that, you know, you've got Ishmael being the... Um, they're just so many similarities and you find that the, the things he points out are like they're mind-boggling I mean it's finally like you're like oh my gosh I, I get why he, he does it he's just a counterfeiter and everything you know he mimics God and on all the good things and not mm -hmm. to say that the other thing is bad necessarily but it's not the right way right it's just yeah. ever so off the course yeah exactly All right. Um, so yeah, where should we go next? Um, so let's. I, I had that uh, planned for for a little bit later to to talk about Ishmael and and the temple and all of that kind of stuff. We've already hit on that. So just a second as I regroup here. Um, let's talk about um, uh, Abraham and and his. Uh, visitor center that, that he builds here in Beersheba. I, I find Beersheba so intriguing as we study this chapter and, and the principles be behind this whole uh, establishment and what he is doing here. So uh, like I said before, this, this chapter is all about temple building and establishing Zion. And um, he, he builds a very interesting place here in Beersheba. Why, why do you think he implements the things that he does here? Uh, the, the gardens, the, the walls, the um, uh, all of the, the different things. What, what insights did, did you have from, from this section? For me, it was like just one more. And the more I understand about the gospel, and, and especially through books like this, the more I recognize the truth in all the things we do and the connection that, you know, we don't just connect one aspect of, the Bible, we like gather all of them and we, um, they all make sense. It's like puzzle pieces. It's so awesome. It's so beautiful. I just, there were a couple of things that I heard was like, 
oh my gosh, that's why we do that. Oh my gosh, that's how I do that. It was really cool for me. I love when I can connect the things that we do, especially that we don't quite understand that mm-hmm. we connect in the past and, and in the Bible and in, in the Old Testament. I love when we can connect the Old Testament to our current ways of doing things. It's so beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Neil uh, says that in his comment as well, that there's so many similarities to our current temple rites, robes covering our heads, raising hands three times, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, uh, very, very much so. I remember my first uh, year going down to education week, I was in a, a class of Sean Hopkins about um, the book of Leviticus. And he starts off the first class with a quote from Bruce R. McConkie saying that Leviticus holds no value or import for the Latter-day Saints, uh, basically skip it kind of a thing. And Sean Hopkins goes, well, we're going to do just the opposite. I know that y'all are here to, to study Leviticus. And I was like, what the heck is going on? I, it was a new uh, experience for me at Education Week. And um, anyway, and then as we started diving into Leviticus and the Levitical law, I was like, that, that was kind of my first foray into the Old Testament, really. I, and that was the first time that it clicked me. And I was just like amazed at all of the connections that it explained for our modern rites and rituals and practices. And I was like, where has this been my whole life? <laughs> but um, it, yes, it, we don't live the the old law, but the old law can really help us understand the new, very much so, as we understand why they did some of the things that they did and, and realize that all of those things are still in place. They're just um, replaced by a higher and holier way or or etc. And anyway, I, I just love the Old Testament and and the richness that it brings to um, our, our rites and rituals and, and ascension and, and everything. Uh, now that I'm uh, kind of gearing up for Isaiah and everything, oh man, there is so much there that helps explain our modern days and um, just everything about our, our temple experience and our ordinances and, and all of that, uh, how that helps us uh, ascend the ladder to heaven. Well, in our temples, we always have uh, garden flowers and all this sort of thing as representing uh, the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of along that same line there with the, you ask about the the things that he planted there in the walls and stuff, but it reminds me of the Garden of Eden thing. Mm-hmm as that pertains to the temple. Yeah, temples are always motifs of the Garden of Eden and how we come back into God's presence. And um, uh, just the the idea of a visitor center kind of thing, how, how his temple here in Beersheba was very much open to the general public in order to learn about God versus our um, the temples that, that we're building, they're, they're different. They have kind of different functions, but, but ours are to actually meet God versus get us on the covenant path kind of a thing. Um, and uh, Libby just posted in there that the compass symbol was fascinating to me. Very much so. Do you remember what page that's on? I was going to mark that from last class, but... Um, sh- sh- 
you know, there's interesting things about like the seven circuits and, and things, was it around there? Um, anyway, if anybody finds that, uh, let me know. I, I think it's somewhere on, on page 202 or 203, but, um, but yeah, uh, that, that compass symbol is, is huge. Yeah, the bottom of 201 and 202. Okay. Um, oh, yes. Four points of the compass. And interesting how, how that four points of the compass, it really, it's, it's inviting all of God's children, not just the um, Abraham and, and just his descendants, but that uh, this, is, this is for everyone as it brings all, all are welcome. And, and that points to the four gates that, that he includes in his, um, his visitor center there in, in Beersheba. I, I like here on page 204, right after the uh, footnote 157, it says that Abraham's temple at Beersheba would surely have been one of the most costly and elaborate of all, given the vast resources with which God had blessed him. If we remember from the first um, uh, time down in Egypt when uh, Sarah was taken, that they came out of there with great riches. I, I would assume that with the, the king of Gerar and um, uh, that experience, they probably would have come out with the same blessing. Yeah, I think it. I think it said that. Mm -hmm. And the um, as he he does uh, pay tithing on that to Melchizedek. This time he is building his his own temple since uh, Melchizedek city was was taken up. And uh, anyway, it, it's just it would be fun to, to know and, and have more knowledge about Abraham's temple that, that he builds here. Um, and I, I have written out on the side, well, where did it go? <laughs> if it was such a, a grand and, and great place, was it lifted up at some point where, where some of uh, Abraham's city lifted up and we just don't have a record of that? Um, was it destroyed at some point? It would just be interesting to, to know more about Abraham's temple. Uh, temples, because uh, he built multiples. Um, so, am I the only one surprised about this temple? I mean, you think about temples, and the, usually the first temple you think about is the tabernacle with Moses in the 40 years, and then you get the first and second Solomonic and the Herodian temple in Jerusalem. But this temple, you know, I know I'm a convert, but I've been more years of a member now than not and i don't remember hearing anything about this growing up as in the church yeah no, and, I and i never thought of the temple at mecca as being what abraham built that was a surprise to me but i've never heard about this temple either there's a lot of things about abraham that we're learning that we've never heard about mm -hmm. yeah yeah it was a totally new thing to me as i read this book it would be interesting to, to ask the author about uh, the temples in antiquity that um, maybe he studied or, or knows about and, and uh, if there's any others that we're just kind of unaware of in our, our limited King James Version 
<laughs> view of it, you know, with all of these ancient texts that are popping up and appearing. I, I know that there's many that are being found in in Egypt and and all over Palestine, etc. All of these these temples that that we can tell that there were animal sacrifices at that um, there were uh, the same exact layout of of the tabernacle and, and Solomon's temple, etc. But but yeah, this one totally. I had no idea that Abraham built temples, but I, he seems to have built many. And and then you read on page 203 that Brigham Young says, even though we don't have a count of it, Enoch must have had a temple and officiated therein. Mm -hmm. And so there we go again. So that makes me wonder, oh my goodness, how many other are there out there that we have no record of? Yeah. I wonder what on that 204 at that top where it says Abraham's temple would surely have been one of the most costly and elaborate if shortly after at some point it was just pillaged for all of its worldly wealth. Mm -hmm. And it, then at some point in wars it was leveled and lost mm -hmm. to history. I do like two paragraphs down at the end where it says, most importantly, he built neither a palace nor throne for himself, but rather a temple for the throne of God. Abraham's entire resources were consecrated to the establishment of Zion. So that's just really made me ponder, like as this is not the first time that we're reading about Abraham welcoming everyone to his home. We've read now in this chapter where uh, the poor would come to him and they would have the pick of clothes and mm -hmm. they would leave dressed and fed and he would teach them the gospel and baptize them and bring them into the fold. But it makes me wonder, okay, this is nice learning about Abraham, but how do I do this? You know, do I welcome everybody in? Like how, how does this relate to me? Mm-hmm. Great segue. <laughs> um, so that's actually the, the homework for next time. Uh, uh, just skipping forward ahead to that. Um, like I said, we, we're not going to be focusing so much on, on the homework assignments being studying things, but actual implementation of these, uh, these principles. And my, my homework invitation for, for everyone this week is to implement the Beersheba principle pray and, and really seek to hear him at how he wants each of us to implement Beersheba into our sanctuaries of faith. Um, as, as President Nelson and, and the apostles have invited us to, to make our home sanctuaries, to, to become holier, have everything holiness to the Lord. And, and really, especially if you haven't done it uh, recently, or if you've never done it at all, but really pray and hear his voice as to what he wants you to do in your home in order to, to build this kind of level of uh, a Beersheba type temple. Does he want you to, to beautify your gardens? Does he want you to, um, to, to simplify and get rid of things that, that are of no import, that have no place in, in a sanctuary of faith? What, what kind of things does he need you to do in order to have a, a greater presence 
of of him in your life and in in your house kind of a thing and so that that would be my my invitation to you um I know that I bought my my home like three years ago or so, and I've really tried to implement that principle all every step of the way um, as I'm renovating and and doing things like okay, what's too much? What what purpose does does this serve? And if it doesn't have a purpose, get rid of it. Like I'm just trying to to really uh, build a, a sanctuary, a, a faith, a, a place where. Uh, missionary work where, where temple and family history work and, and perfecting of the saints can can abide um, yet like like Althea was saying that you know but how do I do it kind of a thing how does it get implemented I mean I can I can build and renovate to my heart's desire but until I actually start inviting people into my home etc and uh, doing the the works of Abraham it's a different story um, but uh, anyway pray and, and receive uh, uh, heaven's help on on answering that question on what you can do to, to implement this Beersheba principle. Uh, I think that that will greatly bless each of our lives as, as we start doing that. And, and so do I, mm -hmm. I have a, a couple things that really struck me about that same principle. It, it was funny. This is like the third time this week that that kind of principle popped up. And the one was the Roots Tech. Um, if you watched that with um, the story from Sister Holland in Enterprise, Utah, where um, her great grandma, I think, um, planted all those trees. Um, that was a really neat story if you haven't heard that. So that was the first one. And then the other time um, I watched a little documentary called I Am Israel. If you get a chance to watch it, it's, it was, it's awesome but it's about the Jews that are all um, flocking back to Israel and waiting for Christ. Um, and it talks about how you couldn't grow anything there. Um, but this guy was called back to plant a vineyard there and how um, literally um, it's, I'm trying to think how he worded it. Like, um, how Israel is literally coming alive. The land is, is coming alive again, and it's now growing beautiful vineyards. Um, so I just love that, that where we plant things, um, it says, um, so on 203, the Zohar tells that Abraham restored the earth to its paradisiacal condition as the ground again blossomed in loveliness and all the powers of the earth were restored and displayed themselves. So that was just super neat to hear that Israel itself is literally um, being restored. Yeah, thank you. It's amazing that uh, with the Lord's help in these latter days, that the earth, um, uh, that, that renewing process, how, how that happens. Um, you know, as uh, we read different accounts of uh, near-death experiences, whatever, with uh, visions of glory, etc. cetera, uh, how some of those descriptions happen, you know, with the renewing of the earth, with, with wells springing up and, and beautifying and, and providing lush uh, environments and, and things like that. And, oh man, I, I just want to, to be a part of that and experience it and, and build righteousness so that the, the land that I'm on can, can receive that, that 
that glory, that uh, tender mercy from the Lord to, to renew itself. Uh, I think that's a, a fun uh, principle. We lived in Blackfoot, Idaho from 2000 to 2006. And then we took a job that took us overseas and where we lived, we couldn't really grow gardens. When we moved back, I started school and my husband ended up having two and a half full-time jobs. Everything we planted died. So we promised ourselves that when I finished school, we would plant a garden and then we ended up moving um, and COVID would hit. So we kind of tried last year and we're trying again this year. And this is completely different climate in Texas than Idaho. And my husband grew up in Denver. So, you know, just the seasons are all different. And that's one thing that I keep praying for is that we'll learn from our mistakes, but that we'll be blessed with fruitful and bounteous harvest that we'll have enough to share. Not, you know, not just for ourselves, but enough to share. And and with all that's happening, I just have such a strong, and I felt this while I was going to school, but we just couldn't do a garden, that just such a strong push that that's something really important that we're going to need is, you know, to garden, mm-hmm. and to rely on those resources. And so I do, I pray for that every day, every night I pray for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I'm always doing that. <laughs> it's kind of hard to to build and, and beef up a garden all by myself, but it's it's <laughs> I'm getting there year by year. I'm progressing and, and getting a little bit more. Last year I tried to implement some automatic watering. We'll see how that goes this year. If it <laughs> I blew out the lines good enough when it froze, who knows? <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I think uh, beautifying and um, trying to, to implement a Garden of Eden uh, feel to, to, to my home is kind of how the Lord is, is leading me and guiding me um, uh, to implement this, this Beersheba principle, especially this year. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's going to be fun as, as everybody uh, starts implementing this and uh, trying to hear him in this specific uh, quest for, for knowledge uh, on how to do this for, for their home and, and family. I, I would love to hear any experiences that, that you have with it moving forward too. Um, but yeah, uh, why does Abraham build all of these things? It's it's always to, to further God's work. It's never to just do it for himself, to have this lavish mansion. It's never to um, only worship God for himself but it's always to, to build Zion, to, to have that principle. The Lord uh, blesses us as we, we prove ourselves that, that we can be trusted to build Zion, kind of the parable of the talents uh, motif there. Um, and then Libby uh, posted in, in the chat, I, I keep forgetting to look over in the chat, sorry. Um, but she said that her favorite part of the whole chapter was the top of 201, where he said teaching Isaac was his greatest priority. He did so much for so many and so much for God, yet that was his top priority, making sure that that, those covenantal blessings, the priesthood responsibilities, all of that uh, passes on. You know, I think waiting so long for for a child um, and, and especially a uh, a priesthood holder who would carry on that patriarchal authority was 
probably at the top of his mind all of those years of waiting like just give me a son that i can can teach and grow and i will i will share my whole process with him what would it have been like to have been isaac and learning at the feet of this mighty abraham i i can't even imagine how, how that must have been um in in the next chapter with the the great uh, abrahamic test and the the offering of isaac uh, on mount moriah it's so telling into abraham as a father isaac's um attitude and um accepting uh, of the sacrifice that he willingly goes uh, with anything that that his father um receives from heaven uh, oh man i <laughs> again i feel like i don't know isaac at all yet uh, i can only imagine that he's just like abraham um uh, being a taught directly from from that great man um uh, that uh, that great patriarch that made teaching isaac his greatest priority um and, and then stefan pops up here that uh, he loved the part where President Kimball said that Abraham built a strong spiritual reservoir for his son Isaac. Yeah, very much so. And especially again with that that water theme and symbolism there, uh, a spiritual reservoir. It's not just a, a trickle or um, it, it's saved up for times of trial, right? Uh, for uh, droughts, it's a it's a reservoir that can hold massive amounts of. Uh, of living water. All right, so just kind of as we start wrapping up, any uh, parts of the, the story that you want to kind of dive into here at the end, um, things that we missed or, or you want to uh, have questions on, etc. Well, as I read this, I can't help but to think that Abraham must have been one of the best missionaries ever. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I consider myself like one of the worst missionaries ever. <laughs> like, I, I do a lot of temple and family history work. I do a lot of perfecting the saints, but I don't do missionary work hardly at all. I feel so bad. And and Abraham's like my great example. I. Every chapter, I, I have my own little personal homework assignments and goals that I'm writing down and stuff. And almost all of them are, are trying to implement missionary work because I'm so bad at it. <laughs> but, but he was just such a great example of missionary work, always putting himself where he can be instructed by the Lord to be an instrument in his hands. Cameron? I beg to differ that you're not good at missionary work. I think that what you're doing right now is missionary work. You are edifying and helping all of us. So I think that is part of missionary work. So I think you're doing awesome. Yeah, thank you. That, that's sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I need to, I don't know. I think some of that uh, comes from like the, the idea to, to bring others to the gospel, not everybody that's already here kind of a thing. <laughs> I think that that's where my my lack comes from, or at least my my confidence in it. Well, I think it's all part of it, though. 
Mm-hmm. I think um, anytime, anytime you help strengthen somebody's testimony, it's gathering Israel and that's missionary work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I was surprised. I want to second what Cindy said too, but I was also surprised through all of this, how much is taken from Muslim writings and Jewish writings and how downplayed Abraham is in Christianity. Right. I found that very interesting. Yeah. I mean, two other groups who don't have Christ the way we do just have Abraham everywhere. And yet we, Abraham was all about the savior and we, we don't know anything about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, many of those great and, and precious truths are, are taken out. Uh, but yeah, I, but how grateful I am that um, we do have a, a new kind of climate in, in these last days of, of finding uh, more sources and not just relying on, on one version of, of the Bible kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. Growing up, it was always the King James Version. That's that's basically it. That's all you need. Everything else is false kind of thing. And so, you know, awakening up to, to the reality of um, the richness and abundance of other testaments, apocryphal sources, pseudepigraphal sources, all of the um, discoveries that we've had in, in the, the, the last while. It, everything is so amazing. I, there's no way to, to even study all of it. And, and yet I'm, I'm sitting here waiting for more scripture to, to come out directly from the Lord kind of thing. But there, there's a, a, a vast richness of, of things that we already have access to via technology. Um, and, and, you know, kind of this book is a testament to that. Just look through the, the footnotes here. And I don't know half of the names of these books still. I've tried to buy most of them if I, I can find them on Amazon or, or whatever. But yeah, I, there's so many things that, that we have available to us now. Uh, what else is there? I'm excited to, to always keep learning on it. So I have a question on H202 at the bottom, just before the new section of Temple in Zion. It says, in addition to the apocryphal uh, Enoch literature, much uh, literature makes much of the solar calendar. Enoch cities appear to be pattern, uh, be the pattern copied over and over by monarchs in the ancient world as they built their cosmic cities. Can you can you expand on that? Um, I really don't know a whole heck of a lot. Um, here's some things that I, I have in the meantime, if anybody else has, has stuff to, to talk about it. But um, I, I watched a YouTube video not too long ago from, um, I forget his first name, Lufgren and um, uh, Pratt. What's his name? Anyway, they're talking about the significance of April 6th. And uh, they're trying to date the, uh, the actual day of the first vision and, and when that would have happened, et cetera. And um, anyway, uh, going further into Mr. Pratt's work, uh, 
he has done some extensive studies on the Enoch calendar and and all of the the design elements of that and how that was implemented in Enoch City, etc. Um, but a disclaimer, he has kind of went off the rails since then and has been excommunicated and and really tries to attack the church now. But um, other than that, he has some great research on, on Enoch and his calendar. That's the only place that I've actually studied it from, and, and I wish I had more to offer as far as insights, but um, I, I tell you what, Enoch's calendar is amazing, and, and it predicts the, the end of the world. I mean, like, every little thing about it is, has been spot on throughout all of time kind of thing. Like, Enoch's calendar is very interesting to study. I think we'll We'll start seeing more of that come out as as more scholars uh, start diving in and um, really learning that more. I, I've been tempted to to kind of dive in and, and study that, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, I have got so much on my plate right now with Abraham and Isaiah kind of thing. Maybe maybe after Isaiah class, we'll dive into Enoch. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody has any insights or, or sources on Enix calendar and, and the cosmic city there that that it references I would love that this would probably be a good question to ask the author here yeah because he does reference um, this Beersheba as a cosmic city and then what he's writing back here so you know maybe he has some more insight there mm -hmm. yeah i'm writing that down on my list of questions though. i know <laughs> when uh talking to to doug clark he was saying well i haven't planned anything after so we can go as long as it takes or whatever and i'm sure he's thinking you know like maybe an hour or so but i'm like um no you have no idea how many questions i have written down think <laughs> it's extensive how much i want to pick your brain <laughs> all right any other questions insights topics you want to uh, throw out there if not we'll kind of wrap up for the night um but yeah Thank you all for for coming and, and participating and um, uh, bringing so much uh, discussion to our our times. I, I really enjoyed my Tuesday nights. I, I love it. Um, as we are um, gearing up for Isaiah, um, I can't remember if I uh, shared with with this group or not. Uh, the, the revamped format for Isaiah or not. If not, I'm going to pop that up on the screen real quick. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts on Abraham before we just kind of close with, with that? And uh, anybody is welcome to leave if they're they're not interested in the schedule for Isaiah, but um, I'll, I'll start popping that up on the screen if there's any additional comments for Abraham. Right, so um, uh, just kind of a revamp for my first schedule because I realized that it's it wasn't working for, for lots of people. So uh, we are going to, to dive into Isaiah Decoded, 
with all of the three same study groups that we have currently. Um, the only exception being that this Tuesday night one moves to, to Wednesday at, at 9 p.m. instead of Tuesday at 9 p.m. And uh, so for the first nine weeks, we're all going to be studying the same material. It's the book club on Isaiah Decoded and taking a, a chapter a week, which is very fast, but I, I think it'll be fruitful as we move into the actual book of Isaiah in the second half. So weeks 10 through 16, um, which that might get extended a little bit. I kind of want to fit in a couple extra things there at the end. Um, but we're going to be looking at uh, studying the actual words of Isaiah using the bifid structure from um, Avraham's uh, work there. And uh, anyway, yeah, so the only required uh, book to, to buy would be Isaiah Decoded, and there's lots of different formats, uh, places to, to buy that from. Uh, I recommend just straight from Isaiah Institute. Uh, when I bought uh, a bunch of books this last week, they shipped them out the next day. They were arrived very quickly, and you don't have to go through Amazon. I hate Amazon now. Um, or you can do like the, the Audible version, etc. Uh, the MP3 uh, download. Um, and then with the book of Isaiah, there's actually uh, a handy book if you want to buy it. It's not required or anything. But let me just pull that out. It is the uh, the literary message of Isaiah by Avraham Giliadi, and so it goes through the bifid structure that uh, we're we're going through. It's it's not required. We'll be discussing all of that in class, um, but if you want to kind of get a jump start on it or whatever, that, that book is is kind of uh, that. Um, I would like to, to show you what I found this week. It's so amazing, um, uh, kind of giving a teaser into uh, the Isaiah structure. So um, let me just pull that up really quick. It is called the Isaiah Explorer. And um, I'll type that out in chat here so that you can access this. So this is a website that somebody has created. I'm not sure who, but I mean, it's definitely from an LDS perspective. Um, and it goes through everything you could ever want about Isaiah and more. So on the left-hand side here, I know it's kind of hard to see on, on the screens and stuff, so kind of bear with me, but um, it goes through the whole book of Isaiah and you can go chapter by chapter and it highlights in blue as you move down through the chapters. And then, um, just a second, here we go. Um, this is the, the default kind of screen here where you actually get to see the verses here. And as you're scrolling down through the verses, it highlights over in the other columns, uh, the uh, this the chapter that you're in as you're you're going through the structure here and it brings up the verse on the right hand side where you can actually play the audio verse you can play the commentary the audio commentary of Abraham Gileadi, um, or you can read commentaries so you can read Gileadi's commentary on that verse you can read the uh, institute manuals commentary on that verse uh, Calvin, Henry, etc. There's many different commentaries out there. Um, 
some very cool features. If you click on the Aleph in, in the upper right-hand corner, it'll actually bring up the Hebrew so that you can get a uh, concordance of the literature. So when it says sanctify, you click on that word sanctify and it brings up over here every time that that Hebrew word is used throughout Isaiah. Uh, sanctify means regard, it means consecrated ones, holiness, etc. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of technology and, and insights that are in here. Uh, if you click on the facsimile here, it'll actually bring up the the uh, the scroll of, of Isaiah, and you can read it in its original Hebrew there. Uh, another interesting um, thing is, is all of the verses are tagged. So uh, you can click on all of these tags and see those common themes throughout everything. But if you see what a tag that has a circle with an X through it, uh, you can go into the chiasm viewer. If you're familiar at all with uh, chiastic structure, uh, sometimes they're hard to, to pull out of scripture just because of the way we Westerners think. Um, but this is a very great way to, to look at them. If you know the chiasms go A, B, C, C, B, A kind of thing. And so here, as you scroll over the ABC, it'll actually move the verses so that the different parts of the, the chiasm get placed next to each other. And um, anyway, uh, just so many fun tools. You can compare all of the different um, translations of a verse just by hovering over here. Uh, you can go to the King James Version, the Hebraic Press, uh, NIV, NRSV, and kind of see the different things that are changed throughout the, the translations. And then lastly, one of my favorite features, there's probably like thousands more features that I just don't even know about yet. Um, but if you click over here in the structural part, you can start um, looking at Isaiah through the lens of other people who have studied it and their insights. So, um, Avraham Gileadi started discovering Isaiah's seven-part structure. And so you, when you click on that, it then breaks all of the chapters down into the seven-part structure that he outlines in, in his book. And so and you can see which chapters belong to which parts. Um, if you were to, to switch that up, uh, you can go through different religions or different uh, gospel scholars who have also studied Isaiah and how they have organized um, Isaiah. So in this one, in Isaiah's three tests, test one is allegiance and all of the chapters that deal with that. Test two is about idolatry. Test three is persecution, etc. Anyway, this is a, a fun tool that I, I just stumbled upon this week that just blew my mind. And I have just been really um, focused in on um, uh, studying through all of that in Isaiah. And anyway, it's been amazing. And, and we'll be using that throughout our, our Isaiah class, but um, there's the, the link for it. Um, I'm just kind of catching up on the, the chat here. Um, yeah, it would be really great for the Book of Revelation. I noticed that they're starting uh, implementing it for Book of Mormon and, and Doctrine and Covenants. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they, they really start expanding all of the features to, to all of our canons. Um, but yes, it, it only works on the computer. Uh, and, and 
yeah, it, it's a very extensive thing. I, I hope that one day they, they might have an app or, or something like that, but, but yeah, uh, a very impressive uh, tool there that, that's been developed. Uh, any final questions or anything about Isaiah before we, we head out for the night? Again, thank everyone for, for coming, putting up with my incoherent babbling as I start class. <laughs> I really started off really rocky tonight, sorry. <laughs> my mind was all over the place. Um, but but yeah, I, I love y'all. I'm so excited for, for all our, our times together to, to study and, and learn and grow. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see everyone later. <laughs> Have a great week.